How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? Mm -hmm. Yes, we're waiting for him. <clears throat> and we will wait, wait until he comes. This morning I bring to you grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who calls us into faith. Through all of our readings today, God speaks to us about the condition of our hearts, the condition of the human heart. Man's heart has been a continuous trouble for him since the first fall until now. The issue of the heart it has caused us to become enemies of God. Man's heart's desire are contrary to God's heart desires. It opposes everything and anything godly. And only God can fix this condition. Only God can fix this problem. We cannot fix it on our own. And as a result of this problem, there is a constant fight between our old nature and the new nature that has been birthed into us. The both of them fight constantly because when a person gets saved, when a person gets born again, the new old nature in us do not die. It's still, it's still alive. And it still wants to dominate. It wants to be that part that dominates and rule or rule our lives. And so there is this constant fight between the old nature and the new nature inside of us. This fight is going to continue until our time on the earth comes to an end. And let nobody lie to you that as a person grows in faith and gets to a certain level, the fight stops. I wrestle with the old nature every day. There is a wrestle between the new and the old on a consistent basis. Sometimes it becomes so bothering that you just want to forget doing church. And if you're not careful, you'll yield toward that path, the old nature that leads to destruction. You'll lead and lean toward that path. And we see a lot of folks have leaned toward this path. And they have forgotten the true fellowship that they had with the Father a while ago. So the fight continues, and so Paul, who was the writer of many of the New Testament books, this man was transcended into the third heavens where God was in a trance. And he saw exactly what heaven looks like. He saw God, and he saw what is to come. This man, God used in so many ways to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Here is what he wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. For what I hate, I do. Is that, does that sound familiar to many of us? 
Because for a true Christian, there is an inner desire to follow God, to live for God, to love God, to walk with God. But the old nature stands in the way. And he says that he is the one that is in control. And he wants to control us. Sometimes he makes us to forget that God has placed inside of us a new nature. The reason why Christians walk away or drift from walking in a way of truth is only because of this one reason. And the one reason is that we forget that we have a new nature in us. We forget that God has caused us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We forget and we drift and walk away. But I can tell you one thing, with all of the excuses that we find when we walk away from the Lord, with all of the excuses that we find, there is a deep inner conviction that is always there, that is always going to nag you and tell you to come back to the Father. And so, so there is this wrestling. Our heart desires have caused us to become enemies of God. And in the Old Testament reading this morning, we find Amos talking to the children of Israel and telling them, seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live. He's heralding this thing in Israel and calling everybody to seek the Lord and live. Because the life that we are looking for out there in the world is not there to be found. The real true life that the church has is the life that is in Christ, my friends. It is not out there in the, the world out there is dark. The world out there will cause you a lot of heartaches. If you want to live and enjoy the beauty of the life that God has given you, then seek the Lord and live. The reason why this is so important, folks, is because when we go to the store and buy a piece of furniture, in the box there is always a little instruction to tell you how to put that little thing together. And if you look at it and say, you know, I don't need this, and you toss it and try to put the pieces together, you're going to get to a point where you realize that you needed that manual. That had happened to me several times, and it takes you longer to recover to put that stuff. You got to break it apart and put it back together. Sometimes God got to break us up to put us back together. And we need to not allow that to happen because falling into the hands of an angry God, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing, folks. It is not a good thing. The Bible says God chastises those whom he loves. And if you are in the love of God, folks, and you walk away and you're not seeking the, God, the Lord anymore, I'm telling you, he's going to chastise you. And he'll do it the hard, hard way. In Hebrews, second reading this morning, Hebrews 3, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, that's a responsibility that has been given to every Christian. It is a responsibility that's been given to all of us. He says, see to it. That means your responsibility to make sure that you are in line and you are seeking God and you are following God and his will. 
It is our responsibility to do that. We can't sit down lassadistically and say that, you know, the Spirit of God is going to pick me up and just make it happen. You have to understand that God's Spirit came to help us. He didn't come to do the work for you. He came to help us. He's called in the Greek, uh, the paraclete. And the word paraclete means the one who walks alongside you. And if the Holy Spirit has come to walk alongside you and help you, and if you are not walking, how do you expect him to walk with you? So we need to be walking to get the help that we need. It is our responsibility as Christians to make sure that we're seeking God, we are walking in his light. And now in our gospel text this morning is where the focus of our message is. Jesus encounters a rich young ruler who came to him with his heart condition, wanting to know whether or not this heart is in the right place. In other words, I would call it a heart examination, is what he came to get. You will also notice that he came to Jesus very confidently, expecting to pass the test with flying colors. He came to Jesus. Let us this morning learn from this rich young ruler dialogue with Jesus regarding the subject of our salvation. The subject regarding our salvation is a matter of importance. And I think it should be the subject of every sermon we preach and every subject we take on because it speaks to the issue of eternity. Yesterday I was at a meeting the Liberian Ministers Association, and the topic came up about preaching. These were all pastors. And I told them about the gospel and the blood of Jesus Christ, how this has been missing out of our preaching life, that many preachers today have just become inspirational preachers or motivational preachers. We are not preaching the true gospel of Christ. The gospel that came to save and deliver us from the power of sin and death. We are not preaching about the blood. The blood of Jesus that has the power to redeem and save us. We are not preaching about him. But we are using the pulpit <coughs> to bring forth messages that are not from God. And it should be a matter of importance for all of us. Because hell is a real place, my friends. It is a place of torment. It is a place of unquenchable fire. A place where the worms never die. This is the place called hell. The rich young ruler come to Jesus to make sure that he had all his ducks in line. He came to Jesus with heaven on his mind. Question to all of us this morning. Do we have heaven on our minds? Do you walk around during the course of the day with heaven on your mind? Because Paul writes in one of his writings, he says we should think heavenly and not earthly. The reason is because the better part of our lives will be lived in eternity, not here. This is 
we, the time on earth is so short. We don't have a lot of time here, folks. We don't have a lot of time here. And that's why David says, Lord, teach me to number my days. And it's important to do that. I do that every day. I look at my age and look at where I'm at now, where I'm going to be in the next 10 years or five years, if God lends me life. And I, I can see that I've lived, I've lived over half of my lifetime on the earth now. And I'm getting closer to exiting this earth. And as I go closer, I, I begin to think about what the Lord has called me to do. Am I doing his will? Am I following God in the path that he's called me to do? Or am I doing what I want to do? So let's learn from this young ruler regarding the subject of salvation. The first thing I want us to look at is his status. In Mark 10, 17 reads, as Jesus started on his way, a young man ran, to, ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now let's look at this man's status. Let's look at his privilege. All three gospel writers tell us that this man was rich. He lived a life of privilege. The world was his, his everything, and he could get anything that he wanted. Everything he wanted was at his reach. This guy was rich. He was privileged. The next thing about him is his position. Luke tells us that this man was a ruler. This probably means that he was an influential leader in the local synagogue. And so he was a leader of the people as well. Look at his prestige. According to all of the information we have about this man, it appears that he was very moral. In verse 20, it talks about it. He lived a good life. It appears to be that he was known for his morality in the town. So he was a good man. Like many people say today, think they are good enough for God. I don't kill, I don't steal, I don't hurt anybody. You know? I pray two times a day. And I, and, and I love Jesus, and Jesus loved me. He's my buddy. But the act of worship, the act of fellowship, is absent from your life. And this is very important. So from every outward appearance, this young man was riding high on the pinnacle of his success. He was everything a mother or father would want their child to be. Just looking at his life, you would think he had it all. But may I remind you that appearances can be deceiving at times. Maybe there are some people today in the same ship as this young ruler. Uh, from every appearance, they think they have it made. Life has been good. I have money. I have successfully climbed up the corporate ladder. I am a good person. But notice that amidst all that this young ruler had, he was still searching because there was a missing piece. There was a missing piece in his life. And this is the message that we come to today to all of us. That we never take a person by the look. 
We cannot examine or judge a person by how they look. It is possible that a rich, successful person on this earth can make his way to hell and not to heaven. Because the only way to get to heaven is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Let's look at, we look at his success, uh, his status rather. Now let's look at uh, his search. In Mark 10, 17 through 20, it reads, as Jesus started on his way, and I'm reading this part and adding other verses to it. A man ran up to him and fell on his knee before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So as we said earlier, this fellow has a lot going on. But he knew that a piece was missing. This man sees the need to do something. The first thing he does, he comes running to Jesus. He comes running to Jesus. This implies a sense of urgency. Salvation is an urgent need. Don't put it all for a little date. It is very important. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now. You know why? Why now? Because you have now. You don't have tomorrow. We have now. Now is the time. Nobody knows what tomorrow will bring. You don't know it. I don't know it. I don't know if I'm going to be standing up here next week preaching to you. I don't know what the future holds. But I know somebody who knows the future. And his name is Jesus Christ. And if I anchor my life in his, in his life and in that light, in the life of salvation that he's brought to me, I will stand a better chance of living a good life. So he comes running to Jesus because the matter of salvation is an urgent matter. The next thing he comes kneeling. This shows that this young ruler sees something special about Jesus. He didn't see him as another prophet, but more than just another prophet. Because for a Jew to bow down to another Jew was to worship him. And so he saw Jesus literally as God since he bowed or knelt before him. And so the third thing is he comes unashamed. The text says, as Jesus started on his way, it means there was a crowd of people. As Jesus started on his way, it means there was a crowd of people because every time Jesus walked, people followed. And so there, was, there were a crowd of people around him and there in the crowd were people who knew this young rich ruler. But he came unashamed and approached the Lord. 
Are you ashamed of Jesus today? Are you ashamed to come and bring your life to him and dedicate your life to Christ and fall at his feet if you need to do so? Let's look at his confusion. Let's give this young man his due. He is concerned about the right thing. He came to the right person. He came the right way. He just, he gets a lot of things right, but it is the thing that he gets wrong that causes him all the trouble. Two things that are wrong about his approach. The first thing is, he thinks salvation can be earned. He's looking for a do-it-yourself way into heaven. He wants to get his salvation the same way he had gotten everything else in his life. He wants to earn it. He wants to earn it. And unfortunately, salvation doesn't come by us earning it. Salvation comes in Ephesians chapter 2 by grace alone. It is only by the grace of God that we are saved. It is only by the grace of God that you and I are here today. It is not by works. It is by the grace of the almighty God. The Bible tells us that in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus came and died. That to tell us that we knew nothing about it. We had no part to play in it. We didn't go into a meeting with God or send a team up there to heaven to meet with God and discuss this matter. God decided it all on his own and came and redeemed us all by himself. It is by grace alone. We cannot earn eternal life, folks. The next thing is he thinks salvation is a reward. He seems to think that if he could just do enough good things, then he could get eternal life as a reward. Eternal life is not a reward. It is a gift from God. It is by the grace of God, and it is a gift from God to all of us. You cannot earn it. You cannot get no reward because you have worked to get it. It comes from Jesus. See, this is the thing that makes me so are fascinated about Christ. And this, this, this is the thing that kept me following him all these years. Because just to think about it, I mean, he loves us so much that he will come and die on the cross to give us eternal life. Some of us don't even understand the concept of this salvation that we have in Jesus, my friends. We're talking eternal life, living in the realm of eternity. Now, in the realm of eternity, there will be no more birthdays, no calendar years. You'll just live forever, forever, forever. I said forever in the abiding presence of the light and love of God. This is a love that we have not yet even experienced. This is what God has in store for us, my friends. And this is why Jesus came and shed his blood and paid for our redemption. He paid for it. Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he watches white as snow. 
Watched it. Cleansed by his blood. Why will I not follow him? Why? There's no reason, my friends. So we look at his status. We look at his search. Now let's look at his sorrow. In Mark 10, verses 21 22, Jesus looked at him and loved him, the Bible says. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Hmm. The Lord's compassion, folks. The text tells us that Jesus loved this young man amidst all of his sins and improper understanding of the things of God. He loved us all. I don't care where you have been. I don't care what you have gone through. The love of God is so great that no matter how deaf your sin is, Jesus' death covers that. His love covers that. You are his. He loved you with everything that he bought you with. And he still loves you the same. He died for us. And that includes all who feel rejected by him. All who, are, who antagonizes his name, he loves this morning. And he's calling us back to him. Jesus knew that amidst all of all that he had going on, that this young ruler had going on, he still lacked one very important thing. He needed to get rid of his gods, listen to this, before he could receive the truth and living God. He needed to get rid of his God. His, his gods were his wealth and his self. His wealth and his self. Jesus told him to give them away. Why? Because he wasn't keeping all of the commandments as he thought he was. Because the first one says, have no God before me. And this man is worshiping his wealth and he's worshiping, he's taking pride in himself and in all that he had accomplished and thinking that this would take him to heaven. And Jesus says, well, Sorry to say, you lack one thing. And one of the most important things, the question I want to ask this morning, what has become an object of worship? What has become your object of worship? What has taken the place of your worship? Your obedience to God. What are you trusting in more than God? What is preventing that? We need to examine our hearts and examine ourselves and ask ourselves the questions because we could sit here this morning and look at this rich young ruler and see him as a bad person and not really examine ourselves while we listen to this message. But let's ask ourselves this morning, what is it that is preventing me from pushing a step further in my faith? What is that thing that is standing in my way? I told you last week that God has deeper, bigger, and better things for us. But we have gotten complacent in our Christianity, and we are right at this plain level, and we are not trying at all to make any step further than where we are. We've gotten complacent down here. But God wants to bless us more, 
And in order to get blessed more, we have to keep reaching up to know more about him and growing closer to him. You have to push. Paul says, I press towards the mark. I press. It means that you're going to have difficulties. You're going to have obstacles standing in your way. You're going to have things that will try to stop you from pushing. He says, I press. It means the Christian journey is not an easy journey. You got to keep pressing and pushing to make your way through. Or else the evil one is going to bring havoc in your life and stop you from seeing anything that is good in God. And I pray this morning that that wouldn't happen to any of us. Jesus called this young ruler to die to himself and commit his life to following him. The scripture says he went away sad. It is unfortunate that many people will listen to a message like this and just like this rich young ruler walk away feeling sad and do nothing about it. I love a passage in 2 Timothy 3, 17, 16 and 17. Paul writes, all scriptures God breathed and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God would be equipped for every good work. That is the scripture that every Christian needs to hold on to. It tells us that the word of God is life. All scripture is God breathed. It is life. Think about it. When God created Adam, he was lying on the ground. He couldn't breathe. There was no life. God breathed into him and he became a living soul. That life that God breathed into Adam, God breathed in his word. The word of God, folks, is life. Every other book you read informs you. This book gives you life. The Bible gives you life. And why? It tells us it is profitable. That's the most profitable, valuable asset that you have in your home. It's the word of God. You know why? Because everything you have in your home will fade away. But the word of God endures forever. So we hold on to it. It is that value that will never diminish. It's the value that we will carry on into eternity. That's the only thing that you are allowed to take from here up into heaven. That's the treasure that we have. It's profitable. Then it says what? For teaching. As you sit here this morning receiving the word of God, you've been built up. You've been taught. Then it says what? For rebuking. Listen, if a preacher is preaching the word of God to you and you are not being rebuked through the word, then find another church. Did you hear me this morning? Then it means that the word of God is not being divided correctly because the Bible tells us it teaches and it rebukes. And if I stand up here to preach the word of God and am not rebuking you in the process, what is to rebuke? It's to tell you that you are wrong. All right? So it rebukes. And then when it rebukes, it says what? It corrects. It corrects. If you're running down 695 and you missed the exit, you don't just keep driving, do you? No. You come up with a plan to turn around and get back on your right, right, take the right exit to get to where you're trying to go. And that's what 
happens when we are rebuked and we correct the situation by repenting and turning around. And then after you turn around, it says training in righteousness. You see, you have to train yourself in this new pattern of life. Train yourself in this new pattern of life. It takes training because we are habitual beings, all right? And we, we adapt to, to things quickly. See, when the pandemic came, a lot of folks stopped coming to church. And up until now, some of them are still away. They have not come back. They have not come back because while we are habitual beings, and so we're quick to adapt to habits. So whatever it is that you have adapted that is contrary from the will of God and the, and the word of God, it is time to break away from it. Train yourself in the path of righteousness. And after we do that, the scripture says that the man of God will be equipped for every good work. If we want to be equipped for every good work in the house of God, then we have to train ourselves to live in the path of God. What this young ruler failed to realize is this. When we follow Jesus, he doesn't only become Lord of our lives when we follow him. He becomes our shepherd too. Listen to that. He is not only Lord. Jesus just didn't want to be Lord over you. But then he becomes a shepherd over you. He will leave the 99 and run after you to find you and bring you back when you walk away. He protects us from sin and the devil. He does that. He picks us up when we fall and can no longer walk. He'll pick you up. He feeds you and strengthens you for the rest of your journey on the earth. You see, that's the reason I'm following Jesus. This whole world can be left behind. I'm following Jesus. And nothing is going to break me from doing that. I am convinced that not a life, nor death, nor things present, or things to come, will be able to separate me from the love that I have found in Jesus. And I pray the same for all of you. And I pray that these words from Jesus this morning will encourage your hearts Keep you steadfast in your faith, know always that he'll never bring you this far and leave you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, Amen.